Hello, everyone. My name is Catherine Bennett, and welcome to the No Really Everything is Fine podcast, where proposal managers with ants in the pants come to find answers. We're excited to launch our inaugural podcast today, featuring four of today's top industry proposal voices, where we can talk to you about proposal themes and win rates for your everyday activities. So welcome to our first episode today. We are talking about that we've got 99 problems, but your bid ain't one. How to make sure your sellers are successful when you are over capacity. Let's do a round of introductions and then we'll get started right on the topic. Again, my name is Catherine Bennett. I am the Senior Manager of Proposal Operations at Maven Clinic. Nora, why don't you kick us off next? Sure. Hi. Uh, yeah. So I am a proposal manager consultant for a Fortune 50 software company uh, working uh, through Shipley Associates. Excellent. Nicole. Hello, everybody. My name is Nicole Robinson, and I'm currently the sales enablement manager for one of North America's largest privately held cybersecurity firms and have been a proposal professional for nigh on 17 years now. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks, Nicole. And Chris, round us out. Hi, uh, uh, my name is Chris LaFown. I've been in the proposal industry for 15 years, currently serving as a proposal manager for a leading enterprise asset management company. So are we going to do one of those exercises where we add up all of our years of experience and then put that in the introduction of our of our proposal and say we have yes. a combined we have a combined hundred <laughs> years of proposal experience? Mm -hmm. I love it. Yes. Let's take it off. Let's go. <laughs> I'm not that I mean, old. Great for dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so this topic, we've got 99 problems, but your bid ain't one. So many of our proposal teams are over capacity. So many of us stretch and struggle to take all of the inputs into our system. What are some of the solutions that y'all have found to help prevent being over capacity in the first place? Or how do you respond when too much work comes in the door? I, I mean... I mean, it's really, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it, just the need to prioritize, you know, which, which bids do you work on? I, I mean, it, how, what are the most important opportunities to, to the business? It can be, it can be difficult for a proposal manager or a proposal writer or whomever to go to the salesperson or the VP of sales and say, hey, listen, I'm too busy. Um, and just say that because that's because that can come across as just complaining or just whining about oh my my oh, poor me, um, but but it's you know real I mean just real conversations need to need to happen within the organization of you know aligning resources with the importance of an opportunity. I mean, do you wanna do you wanna go after nine proposals? Kind of half-baked or do you want to go after six of them really strongly and with those and and the same thing and not just from a resource perspective but from an opportunity perspective these nine opportunities are they good opportunities or they're just kind of eh you know so right. you know re really yeah so really aligning on putting your best foot forward on those opportunities where you have the best chance to win but Chris, to your point, for so many of us, how many of us have gone to our bosses and said, we're over capacity? And they said, well, that's what you hi we hired you to do. Mm -hmm. That's what we're paying you for. Right? Like, I'm yeah. just, my hand's all the way up right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Absolutely so Two not. hands. Yes. <laughs> You've yeah. never had that happen? Really? What? Never. Get out of here. 
what? No, never, never. Like at no point in time in my career has anyone ever responded in that way to me. I don't even know how I would react. Did you see my face? (laughs) (laughs) Huh? That's what you're what? I'm sorry. It's a mutually beneficial relationship. Okay. So burning me out means that you don't get what you are actually paying me for, which is results. Mm-hmm. And so if you're paying me for my expertise and my ability to convert on these opportunities for you, then listen to me when I say that we are at our capacity and we cannot go any further. Mm-hmm. I was really lucky when I started my career. My director at the time, he said to me, you're going to be really busy. And even though I was only, I only had one um, sales rep that I was managing, like we were working on all of our deals together and I was working opportunities from the RFP stage through all the way to producing the project and invoicing it out. Like I ran the gamut at the time when I started, he said to me that I don't ever want you operating at capacity. He's like, I need you to always operate just below capacity. And he's Mm. like, if you're operating below capacity, that means that you're getting everything done, you're being efficient, you're being effective, but you're not burning yourself out. He's like, I do not want you to burn out. And so because that's the foundation on which my career was based, I have always operated in that way. And that's always the um, philosophy that I have brought to every single team that I've ever been a part of. So I I, I don't even know what my brain would do if, some, if, a, <laughs> if a manager or an executive was like, well, that's what we're paying you for. I'd have been like, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> Your brain breaks. That's what happens. Am I not like, yeah, I've, I've just been, I've been very blessed in that regard to, to, for, to be able to go to management, go to executive leadership um, and say, this is where we are and I need support in this way. Um, been very, I don't even know. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm so sorry that you guys have had that experience. That's, well, yeah. wow. Well, 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 I think people would be interested to hear because you know when, when the question was asked, you know, Nora, Catherine and I couldn't raise our hands up fast enough. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah, and I mean, I, I mean, I've worked at several companies and all of them have basically mm-hmm. said, okay, deal with it. You know, um, and they leave it up to me to de- they leave it up to me to deal with it. Um, but you know, I think people would be interested to hear Nicole, seeing that it's worked so well for you that you have this uh, that 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 not only they've told you to not burn yourself out, but they've empowered you to kind of push back. I think people might want to mm-hmm. hear, like, what are the formula? What's 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 the formula to making that happen? Okay, I will say this: it took me probably 10 years to figure this out, which is when I, you enter a new, when you're entering a new organization, enter it with intentionality and speak your intention. And so when I started at my last, so the, the organization I'm with right now, I've been with them for six years. And so when I started, this was the first company that I walked in the door and had three steps, boom, boom, boom. I, that like, my intentions were very clear as to what I was going to accomplish 
at the organization and I told everybody who would listen. And that, and when I say that, I literally mean from one of the founders of the company down through to like uh, practice leaders and subject matter experts who were, um, who work in the field and who I was working with so closely to deliver my responses. Um, and so I'll share with you what that was. Uh, when I walked in, I said, I'm here to develop relationships. I'm here to convert opportunities to awards, like to make. Um, and I also said that um, I'm here to support the overall goals of my department that will fundamentally support the overall goals of the organization. And by default, that also meant support my my leadership. So I would take those big three high level things and I broke them down. So depending on who I was communicating with, right? So um, for example, at my very first, like on day one, you know, they take you out for lunch and I'm there with my vice president and my manager at the time. And I said, fundamentally, if, if I can help you guys win, I win, right? And if I, I can help you guys win, the team wins. The team wins, the department wins. The department wins, it helps to support the organization win, right? And so I went in with that intention and I made it very, very, very clear that that is what I was here to do. Um, in the relationship building piece, because I was new and I brand new to cybersecurity as well, I was meeting a whole bunch of people for the first time. And, you know, I, I didn't necessarily want to come out the gate and just be like, listen, I've been here, done that. You know, I know what I'm doing. You guys just need to trust me. You guys just need to listen. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't do it. I didn't come across like that. It was very much like, I need to understand what it is that you do because, and how you do it. That's one. But I also mm -hmm. want to understand how would you do it? If you were mm -hmm. given carte blanche to make this engagement with this potential customer go as well as possible, how would you do it? And that those two things helped me really understand our business, understand our industry, learn the language of the industry mm -hmm. and get the subject matter experts to trust me because they're they immediately mm -hmm. the amount of times I have heard in the last six years, Nicole, you're one of the few people who asks us what we do and how we do it. And you listen to the answer. Mm -hmm. It's huge. That kind of all trickles down and, and falls back to your leadership. Because people would just go to my leadership and be like, that girl knows what she's doing mm -hmm. and she's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and Or they would shoot me emails and say, mm -hmm. this was probably the best situation, like RFP process that we've had. Or mm -hmm. um, I really enjoyed how this happened. Um, can we make things like that continue that way? Mm -hmm. Or I didn't really like that. Can we try this? But it just got conversation happening. It mm -hmm. got people talking mm -hmm. and they were just like, once they once they saw what I was there to do and how I was entrusting it to a team effort and not really like focused on my own personal glories, they were open and it led and fostered trust in a huge mm -hmm. and massive mm -hmm. way. So I, to just to, to narrow that back all down, intentionality helps to develop clear focus and goals. It takes mm -hmm. the focus off of you and makes it onto the team, which mm -hmm. also helps you to develop a massive amount of trust. Mm -hmm.
I love so, that, I, Nicole. Mm -hmm. I love it. I've noticed that I'm, the kind of like four themes are emerging for me when we're talking about, about how to manage our capacity. And Nicole talks a lot about the relationship aspect mm -hmm. of this, the strategy aspect of it, and kind of advocating for yourself. So that's kind of like the soft skills yeah. aspect, which mm -hmm. is definitely, and I don't mean to diminish it by saying soft skills, but that's a part that we no, often overlook. Mm -hmm. There's also yes. Nora and Chris. I know that you two are also super knowledgeable about these other two two components. So I think there's three components. Mm -hmm. I think there's people, I think there's tech, and I think there's process. Mm -hmm. And I think that Nora and Chris, like N Nicole just dialed us in on mm -hmm. how to handle the people. What do mm -hmm. we do with tech and process? And then I've got like a, mm -hmm. like a sales strategy mm -hmm. that I want to share, but I want to hear yeah. what y'all have to say first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I think where I'm working, what I've always tried to do is uh, make sure when I had control, right? Because sometimes you don't, mm -hmm. right? There are things mm -hmm. that sometimes you don't, you don't get to have the say in. Um, but when I have, I tried to make a really strong intake process, right? So I tried to somehow quantify in numbers or scoring, um, you know, should we pursue this? Or is the score telling us this is not worth pursuing, right? So that helps when you're sort of in a smaller organization and, you know, you can, um, you now have data to kind of back you up and say, okay, we have some solid data-driven reasons why we can't do this, not just I'm overwhelmed, right? Mm -hmm. um, because sometimes when you come say, I'm overwhelmed, they go, we'll just work harder, right? Throw mm -hmm. more hours at it, mm -hmm. you know, your salary or whatever, you know, do mm -hmm. it. So uh, that's one thing, but where I'm at now, they actually have a really great intake process. So um, there is a minimum monetary level that an RFP has to meet in order to qualify. And if it doesn't meet that, you don't get passed, right? So then from there, it's, okay, how many questions is this? And do you have, and, and there are certain question levels, which dictate how much lead time there has to be, right? So if it's, I think, 600 or less questions, you have to minimum, you know, two weeks, that's it. You can't give any less than that. And if it's one week, so then you, you don't get through. But mm -hmm. it's not just that we turn people away, right? So uh, the really cool thing about working on the account for this you know, Fortune 50 software company is that they also have software that the sellers have access to. Mm -hmm. So if they say, you know, we can't help you with this because it doesn't meet our criteria, but you have access to thousands of QA pairs in our content management software. And you can go in there and you can find them yourself. Whatever tech person you're working with, they can help you as well. So I think that if you're not working in a company where you have that option, look into it because it's very helpful. Um, you know, I think oftentimes there are a lot of tools out there that could, especially if it's sole source, right? If it's sole source and somebody comes to you and say, hey, I have a sole source deal and you're really overwhelmed, you have content management software that you can set up templates and you can set up packages and things like that. Now your seller can just go into the system and go, oh, I need a cover letter. I need an executive summary and I need these three modules to be covered in there and they can generate themselves. So I think automation is going to be a huge, huge trend in the proposal management industry. I mean, it's already getting there now and I just see it driving toward there in the future. Kind of the, what they're doing with developers. There's a lot of uh, low code software platforms out there that let people who have no idea how to program anything mm -hmm. make some solutions for themselves. And I think those types of tools will allow pro proposal managers to get in there and do what we do best, kind of lift out some of those tasks that, uh, you know, take up time um, and kind of help people help themselves. Chris, what, I love that. I, I love oh. this idea of proposal software. Uh, obviously, if anybody knows my background, like 10 out of 10, I used to work at Loopy. I love it. Um, mm -hmm. 
I know that you, I know that you and Nicole also have, um, have experience with uh, different process improvements. And I know that you particularly, Chris, are very much a numbers guy. So what kind of numbers are you focusing on to think about the, about your processes internally? Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 So it's the, you know, um, the, you know, it's not just the number of RFPs because the, a sales team or even an individual salesperson or account manager is not going to care so much about the number of RFPs that we have. No, it's, um, but, uh, but, but, but some, uh, some of them, met, and it's very, it's very easy to, it's very easy to just look at revenue as well. Um, you know, there's, you know, um, you know, uh, the, the higher, uh, the higher dollar amounts. That's where you have to, that's in theory, that's where you spend more of your time. That's not always the case though. I, I think, you know, uh, Nora hit on, you know, um, you know, touch on briefly an effective go no go process. Um, you know, just because we have a, just because you have a ten million dollar deal in the pipeline and a two million dollar in a five million dollar deal in the pipeline, doesn't automatically mean that you discard the five million dollar deal for the ten million one. I mean, you really, you really have to look right. at fit. You really have to look at sh uh, sh the strategic value of going after this, after this opportunity. And there are and there are a lot of metrics that uh, and there are a lot of metrics that you can use. To to justify an opportunity, whether um, you know you can you can put a score, you can put a ranking system around several quantifiers, such as you know strength of relationship with the customer, or the uh, the number, or the or the or the, or the years of incremental revenue, um, I, and that, and that's just at the opportunity level. At the proposal level, you can look at things such as the number of questions you have to answer, the number of days you have to answer a response. Uh, the, um, the number of questions where, or the, or the number of requirements where you need other people's help versus, versus your own. And so, you know, that's using, a good one. Tell me more it, about, it, tell me more about people that might need help versus the ones you can do yourself. What's the difference? Well, it, it, well, well, well you know, this is part of the automation that, that, that Nora had touched on, you know, once, once you, if you get automation or some, some, uh, some content library, or templating, when you get to the place where you're either self-sufficient or you can train someone to be self-sufficient. And by the way, great sales enablement managers do this really well. Just saying. Um, like Nicole? Nicole. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I was just saying that. I was just, such as, yes. But uh, no, 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 but, yeah, but no, honestly, it's, you know, as a proposal manager, I mean, the, in the proposal industry, you know, we can, you know, the, the term manager, writer gets thrown around and they often mean the same thing. They often mean two different things, uh, depending where you go, the definition change. But uh, an effective proposal manager for me has been, I've always been the most effective when I'm not a bottleneck or people are always, if people, mm. if everyone has to come to me, it's, it's great for job security, but it's not great for everyone else because I become the bottleneck. If we can automate some of these things, such as a cover letter, an executive summary, a requirements matrix, even parts of a security questionnaire. I mean, if we can automate a lot of the, a lot of these things uh, via some content management tool or alignment on what the answers should be, you know, you, you can use technology to answer 100 questions in a matter of minutes, as opposed to Googling or doing whatever to figure it out. Then once you do that, um, once, once you have that ability to be self-sufficient on those quote administrative types of questions, you can really spend the time with your sales team, with your internal teams around, okay, what's our strategy? Why, you know, how are we going to win this bid? You know, make it more, 
use their time, which is valuable because they, they all have other jobs, right? Um, use their time to really think about how are we going to win this bid rather than asking them for the eighth time in two months, tell us about our roadmap. Right. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. there are so many proposal managers who don't feel um, who don't feel particularly empowered to make changes. And I think every single one of you has described something that a proposal manager can, or a proposal writer, somebody in this space can personally do without anybody else's input to like improve mm-hmm. their own everyday life. So so that's something that I love to see. I want to tell a story really quick because I love the fact that we nailed, we, we dialed in this information about people tech we've talked about building business acumen like we have packed a lot into this little bit of time but one thing that i have that i have found or um in the last in the last week actually i had a a, an internal customer come to me with this massive questionnaire document like hundreds of questions and they said okay well we need this turned around in two days and in my early career I would have worked 60 hours in that week mm-hmm. to make sure it was done. And I would have like, you know, been, you know, bleeding from my eyes because I was looking at the computer mm-hmm. screen with such intensity for just crying. Right. And, 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 and now that I've been in the industry for 13 years, what I can go to that internal seller and say is, Hey, you know, can we talk to this customer and say that maybe can they accept these two standard documents and we can answer 30 of these questions and then they mm-hmm. can get the information faster they took it back. The customer was really pleased. Like the person mm-hmm. who we were selling into was really pleased because they loved the completeness of the documents we were able to provide, mm-hmm. those standard mm-hmm. documents. And then also I was able to preserve my team's uh, neat, uh, like capacity mm-hmm. because we have other big bids that we're trying to work on. And so right. I think it's really important to understand that self-advocacy, and it's not in a way that is like, it's like, oh, I, I don't need to have to work as hard. It's saying, mm-hmm. is this really serving the customer's needs? Like if they mm-hmm. need something tomorrow, do they have to have this or can they have something mm-hmm. even better, right? Mm-hmm. right. And so, so Because that's- at the end of the day, we're salespeople, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So yes. Uh, that, Nora. Mm-hmm. a lot of people don't understand about proposal managers. At the end of the day, we are salespeople first. We mm-hmm. are just yep. selling with words and pictures, right? Mm-hmm. And telling a story versus mm-hmm. that relationship building face-to-face. It is so much harder to build a, a relationship with words than mm-hmm. it is when you're mm-hmm. sitting in a room with somebody and you can you know, get their feedback and you can see what, what's landing and what's not. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately at the end of the day, a big part of what we have to do is not only sell our product to external customers, but like Catherine said, sell to our internal customers as well mm-hmm. so that we then do not become over capacity and mm-hmm. we do have the ability to work on the proposals you know that that are right in front of us and have the best shot of winning and yeah, people trust 100%. you more i love mm-hmm. it I, I, I could summarize this entire conversation i would say it comes down to people processes and tools and that is essentially how mm-hmm. you ensure that you are not moving into overcapacity. Mm-hmm. If you're managing your mm-hmm. relationships, then you're covering off your people part. If you're managing mm-hmm. your processes effectively and efficiently, you're utilizing go, no go processes. You're utilizing your data extractions um, that Nora and Chris talked about and compiling that and making it into a story that you could then tell mm-hmm. to show why you're heading into an overcapacity place. That's your process. Then you're using Mm -hmm. your tools to automate all of the things that can be automated, which helps you to be more efficient and more effective and reduce any um, um, creep towards or Mm -hmm. into over capacity. And Mm -hmm. all all of these things, they work together in order for you as a proposal person 
to mm -hmm. be effective and to be successful and also to ensure that you start to convert. Because once you master your people processes and tools, guess what happens? Your submissions get better mm -hmm. and better mm -hmm. and better. And your ROI mm -hmm. goes up and up mm -hmm. and up. Mm -hmm. yeah, and you still have 99 problems. But guess what? Over but a bit ain't one. A bit ain't one. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So it's the people process. So that's like the big takeaway, right? The people processes and tools. The PPT. So it sounds like yeah. Nicole. Sounds like you're down with PPT. That's what it sounds like. I'm always down with PPT, Chris. You already know. <laughs> yeah, I already know. You know me, Nicole. You know me. We are going to end our episode there. If you'd like to learn more about the No Really Everything is Fine podcast, you can follow any of us who are listed here in the podcast notes on LinkedIn or join us on our LinkedIn page, which we will be establishing soon. So thank you so much for joining us. Find us on all the major podcasting platforms and stay here for your periodic updates about No Really Everything is Fine. Make sure to get those ants out of your pants and we'll see you next week.